Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, either in print or digitally, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me. This is God's Word. I believe what it says is true. It has the power to change my life. It teaches me how to know God. And it teaches me how to live for God. Now turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Have you ever thought about the power of words? How powerful words are? Take, for instance, the, the word but. But is just a simple conjunction. But when that word is used in conjunction with other words, that word changes everything. For instance, you're at home and you get a call from the highway patrol and the highway patrolman says that, that he is with your son. Your son has been in a wreck and his car has been totaled, but he is okay. That small word changes everything, doesn't it? Or, or take, for instance, this. You, you were at work and your boss calls you into his office. And he looks at you and he says, I want you to know that you are one of the best workers I ever had. But we're downsizing and I'm having to let you go. That one word changes everything, doesn't it? Or what about this? You've gone to the doctor, you've had some tests and the doctor calls you up and he says this. I'm sorry to tell you this, but we found cancer. But we found it in time. That word changes everything, doesn't it? Or what about this? You've gone out to eat with your husband, your wife, and, and you think that it's a romantic dinner, you're just going to have some fun together, and, and in the midst of this meal, your spouse turns to you and says something like this, I love you. But, I don't want to be married anymore. You see, that one word changes everything. And we see that very clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, when that one word is used with another word, God. But, God. And that simple phrase changes everything for you, and it changes everything for me. Now, if your Bible is open, I want you to follow along as we read this passage, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, going through verse 10. Listen to God's word. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life 
when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. It's shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Now there are some people who say that, that this passage, these ten verses are the single most important verses in the Bible. And that may be true, but what is clear is this. If you don't understand this passage, you will never truly understand your need for the gospel. And you will never truly understand the incredible greatness of the gospel. So what I want us to do this morning is take a few minutes and I want us to answer three questions that will help us better understand how great the gospel really is. And before we jump into it, I want you to hear me. There are some of you here today that this is supposed to be a life-changing moment for you. You're here by design. God has you here because he wants to save you. He wants to deliver you from death unto life. And this may, this may be your last chance. And so let's look at some questions. First of all, why do we need the gospel? And Paul answers that in these first three verses. Paul says we need the gospel. Each and every one of us need the gospel because we are dead in our sins. And then he goes on to say, and because of that, we are destined, we are doomed for God's wrath. Now Paul uses two words to describe our sin. He uses the word disobedience or transgression, and he uses the word sin. Is this is as if, if he wants us to know just how bad we are. We have disobeyed God's laws. We've broken God's commands. We've rebelled against God's rules. And we failed to live the way God told us to live. Now some of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, wait a minute. I know there is sin in the world. I know there is evil in the world. But that's a few people. That's not most people, most people deep down inside are good at heart. We just really aren't that bad. You see, most of us have this idea that we are by nature good people who occasionally do bad things, but the Bible says that's wrong. The Bible says we're not good people who occasionally do bad things. He says we are bad people dead people, spiritually dead people, who do bad things. We are by nature sinners. We are born rebels 
apart from God. We like to think of newborn babies as sweet and innocent, totally free from the effects of sin. We say things like this, well, they're as innocent as a baby. But the Bible tells us that babies aren't innocent. Oh, it was a blessing. It was a joy to dedicate these parents and set apart these children this morning. But understand, these children that were on this stage, they aren't innocent. David said it this way. He said, I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. And every honest parent knows this. You didn't have to send your kids to sin camp. I want my kids to know how to sin. I'm going to send them off to camp for the summer so they can learn. You didn't have to teach them to sin. Hopefully, they didn't see you lying down in the middle of the floor throwing a temper tantrum. Maybe they did see some of you doing that. You, you don't have to teach your kids to be selfish. You don't have to teach your kids to be self-centered. We are by nature sinners. We are natural born sinners, selfish, self-centered, rebels against God. Now, does that mean that every single child is destined to be a murderer and a rapist? Absolutely not. Does that mean that, that a child is incapable of doing good? We know that's not true. But what it does mean is that each and every one of us is born spiritually dead, separated from God. Now to understand that better, we have to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created everything. And on the last day, he created man in his image and in his likeness. And in Genesis chapter 2, as God is laying some groundwork for his relationship with man, he gives man one rule, one command. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, God says this. He says, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. Did you get that? The very beginning, God gave man freedom to do anything. He could do everything except one thing. He could not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God said, when you do, if you do, you will die. Well, you know the story. Sin entered into the world because Satan entered the world. And Satan came in and he tempted Adam and Eve. He said, if you eat this fruit that God told you not to eat, you'll be just like God. Adam and Eve looked at the fruit and they thought about the, the idea of being like God and they ate the fruit. And the moment they did, hear me, everything changed. They were changed at the core of who they were. The Bible says it this way, their eyes were opened. And then it says they were filled with shame and they hid from God. Now we know that when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they did not physically die immediately. We know that when Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they were not immediately cast into hell. But what we do know is when they ate that fruit, their relationship with God changed immediately. 
they were separated from God. And God cast them out of heaven. And we're told in Romans 5, because of Adam's sin, each and every one of us who are the seed of Adam, we are the heirs of Adam, we are born with this nature that is prone to sin. And one day, we will act on that sin just like our parents, Adam and Eve, did. You see, we are spiritually dead. You aren't spiritually sick. You're spiritually dead. You, you don't need resuscitating. You need resurrecting. You are dead, incapable of saving yourself. And on our own, the Bible says you have no hope. We can't help ourselves, but Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on into detail explaining where each and every one of us are. He says we live like the rest of the world. A better translation is we follow the ways of the world. In other words, what Paul is saying is each and every one of us at some point in our life choose the world over the word. We choose to follow what the world says is right rather than following what God's word says is right. And we all do. Next he says, you obey the devil. Now some of you are going, oh, time out now. I understand that sometimes I, I follow the world, world rather than the word, but, but I obey the devil. Well, that's what the Bible says. Either intentionally or unintentionally, each and every one of us are born separated from God, and we follow Satan, each and every one of us. And then Paul says, and you follow your own evil desires and inclinations. Rather than carrying out God's will, we are controlled by our own sinful desires, our own sinful will, our own sinful wants. Our desires say, have sex, get drunk, throw a fit, get even, keep the money, and we do. And because of this, the Bible says that we are subject to God's anger. We deserve God's wrath. Now don't miss this. The Bible says that we are sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. We have chosen to live in rebellion against God. We have committed treason against our creator and we have sided with his enemy. And time and time again we have followed our desires, our wants, rather than his will. And because of that, we deserve the wrath of God. Each and every one of us in this room deserve death and eternal punishment in a place called hell. And until you fully understand that, you will never really understand your problems. And you'll never really accept the cure. And, and that's the problem with some of you here today. You're sitting there right now, and, and in your mind, you're, you're wrestling with this, and you're thinking, wait a minute, I'm not that bad. Come on, there are a lot of people worse than me. And that's your problem. You haven't understood your rebellion against your Creator. 
And until you understand the seriousness of your rebellion against God and what that rebellion has done to you, you will never understand the wonderful cure for our problem. Now, why do we need the gospel? Because we are dead in our sins. We have followed the ways of the world. We have submitted to God's enemy, Satan, and we have lived according to our desires, our will, rather than his will. And because of that, every single one of us deserve wrath. We deserve hell. Look at me. You deserve hell. 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 You deserve it. You deserve it. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. And until you realize what you deserve, you're never going to be able to receive what God offers. So why do we need the gospel? We're dead in our sins. We're destined to God's wrath. Now, what is the gospel? Look at verse 4. But God. Let that sink in for just a moment. But God. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God. We were living like the world, but God. God. We were obeying the devil, but God. We were following our desires, our wants, but God. We were destined to experience his wrath, but God. Listen to these words again, beginning in verse 4. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. Is shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Those words are some of the most beautiful words ever written. The gospel is all about God. The gospel is all about his mercy toward us, his love for us, and his grace given to us. What did God do for us? This passage says he gave us life when we were dead. It says he saved us when we were lost. You, you can't give yourself life. You, you can't breathe back into your lungs, life. You can't save yourself. Only God can do that. And why does he do it? Does he do it because we deserve it? 
Does he do it because we're not really that bad? No. We deserve God's wrath. We don't deserve God's mercy. We don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his grace. The fact of the matter is, if any of us were God, and we were created, we were treated like God has been treated, we would say the hell with all of you. Don't sit back and tell me if I were God, I'd let everybody in. Oh, bull. You obviously don't understand what we've done to God. We rebelled against his right to rule as the creator of all. We sided with his enemy. And then when he in love chose to forgive us by giving his son as the sacrifice for our sins, we say, I don't want it. We spit on the gift. And then we expect God to say, hey, everything's okay. But God, who is rich in his mercy, who loves us so much, has bestowed grace on us. What has he done? He's rich in mercy. Mercy is when God decides not to give us what we deserve. We deserve death. We deserve hell. We deserve his wrath poured out on us. And in his mercy, he chooses not to. You're, you're going down the interstate 75 miles an hour, the speed limit's 60, and all of a sudden you see that blue light behind you, and you pull over, and the officer comes to your window and says, do you know how fast you're going? And, and you look at him and say, I'm not sure. And he says, you were going 75. Do you know what the speed limit is? I don't know. The speed limit's 60. You deserve a ticket. But the officer looks at you and says, I'm going to let you go. That's mercy. But understand, that doesn't compare to God's mercy because when you think about sin, Sin still has to be paid for. Someone has to pay for the sin. And God has shown us mercy by giving his son as the payment for our sin. God is rich in his mercy toward us. And he loves us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God loves us and he has offered us grace mercy is God withholding from us what we deserve grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is God reaching down from heaven and picking us up and seating us in the heavenly realms. Grace is God restoring everything that has been taken from us because of sin. Grace is God making us joint heirs with Christ. 
someone said it this way, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. But, but understand, grace offered and grace received are not the same thing. Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved when you believed. Understand, grace is the extending of the gift to us. Faith is us receiving the gift. Faith is not some religious feeling. Faith is not some intellectual knowledge. Faith is trusting God. Faith is taking our hand and reaching up to God's hand and taking hold of Jesus and accepting the gift that he gives us. We realize that we are dead in our sins, living for the world, controlled by the devil, and yet in faith we reach up because God offers forgiveness, God offers hope, and we long to go back home and we take God's hand We realize that we're separated from God. We realize that we're dead in our sins and we reach up for help and God takes us and saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith. Grace is God reaching down. Our faith is just us extending the hand and accepting the gift. Some of you here today say, well, I really don't need it. I'm not that bad. Again, you don't understand. You don't understand the seriousness of your sinfulness before a holy God. You don't understand the extent of your crime. You rebelled against the sovereign God, the only true God, the creator of heaven and earth, who created you in his image who created you to be his children, and yet you rebelled and said, I don't want to be your child, I want to be you. And yet God still loves us. And he gives us mercy. And he offers us grace. Why do we need the gospel? Because we're dead in our sins. And we're destined for God's wrath. What is the gospel? But God, who is rich in his mercy, who loves us so much, has offered grace to us. And when we accept it through faith, we can be saved. But how does the gospel change us? Does it change us? Look at verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. God has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. See, the gospel changes everything. God created us in his image. And even though that image was tainted by sin, God saved us and he has restored us. And we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. And he is making us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Listen, you aren't saved by good works, but if you're saved, 
you will do good works. You're saved by faith alone. But a faith that saves is never alone. Our works aren't the root of our salvation, but our works will be the fruit of our salvation. How do I know that? Because when we are saved, God is making us into his masterpiece. He is making us anew. He is making us new because Jesus is living in us. And I'm here to tell you, listen to me, there is no way in this world that Jesus can take up residence in your life without changing you. You see, Jesus changes everything. And all of a sudden, when we discover who we were, we were dead in our sins, destined for God's wrath. But God, rich in his mercy, loved us so much that he offered his grace and by faith we accepted that and his spirit came into us and he's making us anew so that we can do the things, listen, so that we can do the things that he has planned for us to do. Oh, listen, Jesus changes your life. So salvation is simple. The gospel is simple. I understand my sin before God. I am dead in my sins, destined for God's wrath. But God, rich in his mercy, loved me so much that he offered grace. By faith, I accepted that. And when I did, God began to change everything. And all of a sudden, the plan that he had for me before the world ever began are back on the table again. They can be fulfilled. They can be accomplished. There are some of you teenagers here. Listen. You've made horrible choices. You've done things that you know were sin. And some of you don't even care. But there are some of you that do. And the good news is, but God, who is rich in his mercy and love toward you, will offer you grace. And even though you've blown it, he will make you into his masterpiece. And whatever you've done, he can set that aside, and the plans that he has had for you can still be accomplished. There are some of you adults right now, you know you know that you're not living the way God created you to live. And the Holy Spirit, even as I speak, is convicting you of that. You've spit on God. You've lived life your way. But God, who is so rich in his mercy, who loves us so much, has offered us grace. Through our simple faith, we can receive it, and he can change us and make us anew. And the plans and the purposes that you thought could never be accomplished can be. Oh, listen. 
the gospel does change everything. And if you're here and the gospel has never changed your life, then I beg you, I plead with you today in the name of Jesus to open your heart and open your mind to God and let Him reveal to you who you are. You're dead and you're destined for wrath. And then realize how much He loves you and how much mercy He wants to bestow you this bestowed to you and the grace he wants to give to you and receive it let him save you don't leave here today don't leave here today without letting Jesus change your life I want you to bow your head with me I want you to close your eyes and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed hear me this is important. Don't think about anything else right now. But, but I'm convinced that there's some of you, I, I don't know, there may just be one, there may be two, there may be ten, there may be thirty, there may be a hundred, I don't know, but I am convinced that there are some of you who today have understood who you are. You're dead. You're a rebel. You've lived life your way. You've been under the control of Satan. You've followed your desires rather than God's desires, and you're tired of it. And even as we sit here in the silence of this moment, you know God loves you. You know he wants to share his mercy with you. You know that he is offering his grace to you. And today I'm asking you, to lift up your hand to a God who loves you and humbly say, Jesus, save me. I'm accepting it. I'm receiving it. I'm trusting you. Let him change your life. Let him do what you can't do. Change you and make you into the masterpiece he designed you to be from the very beginning. If that's your desire, then I encourage you to pray this prayer right now. Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you this morning asking you to forgive me. I am a sinner. I deserve death and hell. I've rebelled against you. Please forgive me. Thank you, God, for loving me in spite of my sin. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in my place today, right here. I'm receiving your offer of grace. Save me. I'm trusting you. Come into my life. Make me brand new. Change me from the inside. Thank you for hearing my prayer, Jesus. Thank you for saving me.